0: us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all our praise. Every breath that we breathe, Lord, may it be unto you. We thank you for the precious cornerstone, for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sin. We thank you that you took the penalty. You ransomed us, Lord. We look forward to the day when we see you face to face. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Good to see you guys tonight. We're back from Belize. Thank you for your prayers and everything that uh, you offered up for us. Give you kind of an insight. We flew out of here. on a Thursday, we got up at three a.m. Friday morning, drove uh, for about four and a half hours to the village of San Ramon, and uh, started teaching. We got there about eight fifteen, started teaching at eight thirty, went till about six thirty that night. Got some rest. Got up the next morning, started about eight o'clock, went to six thirty, seven o'clock. Saturday night, got up Sunday morning. I performed my first wedding in the country of Belize on Sunday morning. That was the morning uh, worship. It was uh, a seventy-eight and a seventy-seven year old couple, um, both. Had had been widowed. She was in full white gear, head to toe, I mean, ring bearer and the whole kitten caboodle. It was really awesome. Something wonderful to be able to do. Started uh, my voice. I realized that much teaching and that much uh, preaching and things that we were doing. My voice was beginning to wane. So they tried to talk us into staying a few days in Belize and getting some R&R. But then I remember what I preached last Wednesday night. And I remember what we were supposed to talk about tonight, and I knew I would be in bad trouble if I did not make it back. So uh, we are back tonight, so take your Bibles. We are in 1 uh, Peter chapter three. We're gonna be in verse seven. Wednesday nights we're studying the book of 1 Peter under the, the, the series title Better or Bitter You Decide, and we're talking about the different things that Peter has brought up to us. And so the thrust of what he's been teaching us is Uh, When we go through suffering, we go through persecution because of our Christian faith, and because we're living it out in the world uh, that we're uh, we're a part of. To always be mindful of the fact that as Christians, you may be the only Bible that anyone ever ever reads, and so we want to be mindful about how we act and how we react and what we do and the way that we. Uh, handle ourselves and the things that we do. And so in chapter 2 and 3, uh, Peter's been talking about these three social areas, these areas that are generally hot buttons when it comes to human beings. He said there's three areas that you want to really be careful about how you act and react, and that's when it comes to politics, that when it, that's when it comes to your workplace, and that's when it comes to marriage. And so as I thought about that, I began to think about all of us that uh, would be here uh, tonight that have children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and I thought how that it's very important for us not only to realize that there are unbelievers that we come in contact with each and every day that are watching us to see how we act and how we react to, to politics and to our workplace and to our marriages, but we also have children and we have grandchildren and we have great-grandchildren. It doesn't matter what age that you are. Your children, your tra- grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, they're always watching you because they realize at some point in their life, Lord's willing, that they're going to get to the age that you are. And how you deal with things and how you approach things and how you go about things, you're teaching them how that they're supposed to act and how that they're supposed to react and what they're supposed to do in this area of of politics and work and and marriage when they come to that age in their life. And so these are very important questions that we need to ask ourselves and to deal with so that we'll choose to live our life better and not bitter knowing there's so many people whose eyes are on us. Now, if you remember... From last week's study, study, we said that the reason a lot of marriages, Christian and non-Christians alike, are struggling, is because they failed to realize that a marriage is a ceremony, excuse me, a wedding is a ceremony, but a marriage is a lifelong journey. And so for a marriage to be a lifelong journey, there's these responsibilities that Peter is talking to us about here in 1 Peter chapter 3 that are both responsibilities for the wife and responsibilities for the husband and we need to embrace those. So let's uh, refresh our memories just a little bit where we are uh, by reading last week's text, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 and then we'll flow right into the next verse which is verse 7. He starts out by saying in the same way you wives Be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chase and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God." For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God, they used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by... Any fear. And so last week we talked about these verses highlight for us the wife's responsibility. And what we realize is that if a wife wants her marriage to be a lifelong journey and not just a ceremony, then her first responsibility is to be submissive to her husband. Her second responsibility is to be spiritually attractive in the way that Christian wives find themselves to be spiritually attractive is they let their actions speak louder than their words and then they concentrate as much on their inner appearance as they do on their outward appearance. So let me express my appreciation to you ladies for last week the way you listened, the way you let me visit with you, the way you let me talk to you about these things. I believe uh, you probably put into practice some things. Hopefully you did if you noticed some things that weren't where they needed to be in your life and you wanted to be more than just a hearer of the word, you wanted to be a doer of the word. And let me also commend you men for being back this week. It would have been very easy to say, well, hey, I am really I've got it all together. I don't need to be back this uh, this week. Week. I know I'm doing everything right, but you've chosen to come back. And then there are those of you that maybe aren't married or, or, or in between or however that might be. Don't forget, oftentimes when we're going through studies like this, uh, the, the passages and things we're talking about may not be specifically applicable to you, but you have those children. You have those grandchildren. You have those co-workers. You have those friends that they're watching you and you want to be able to have biblical teaching to be able to offer back to them. So tonight we're moving into the husband's responsibilities. I'm going to be talking to the men tonight. Ladies, I'm sorry if I get it all botched up and I don't do a good job, but I'm going to try my best from a biblical perspective to help we husbands understand what our responsibility is. So there in verse 7, Peter talks to us. He says, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be... Hindered. Now, if you were to take those words that Peter just uh, spoke to us right there, and you were to try to do your best to summarize them in context of what the Scripture says, along with doing the, the work of studying these words and the things that we find in the Greek language, you could summarize this verse into saying this, a husband is to commit to being, a long, to being on a lifelong journey of understanding his wife. That's what Peter has just said. And a lot of you are chuckling right there right now. You know, men and women both are chuckling. Understand our wives. Really? Are you kidding me? And I'm supposed to be on this lifelong journey of doing that? That's exactly what Peter has just told us in verse 7. A husband is to commit to being on a lifelong journey of understanding his wife. I say that because look at the first part of verse 7. He says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. Way That word understanding literally means in a knowledgeable way, and there's several different words in the Greek language that you could use for the word knowledge, and the actual word that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses here is the word gnosis. And the word gnosis that you find is defined as present, but yet fragmented knowledge. It's present knowledge that you have, but it's not complete knowledge that you have. It's not a complete understanding of everything it is that you need to know. And so Peter's saying, husbands, what you're to do is you're to commit to being on a lifelong journey of gaining insight into what your wife's physical, what your wife's emotional, and what your wife's spiritual needs are currently, And you don't have the big picture of everything that that's going to entail over the course of your marriage. And so it is an ongoing process. It's not something that you just glean right at the beginning when you get married. Because as we grow and as we go through different life needs and life experiences, there are things that change. There are things that change physically. There are things that change spiritually. There's things that change physiologically. And so don't think just because you've got it all together now, that's going to be the same thing that your wife needs in the coming days or the coming years ahead. And so you want to operate. You want to love. You want to be about taking care of your wife in a very understanding Way. And so there in verse seven, when he says, you husbands in the same way, he's referring back to the same way that I've instructed that we are to submit ourselves to the government, the same way that I've instructed that we need to submit ourselves to our bosses, the same way that I've instructed that wives need to submit themselves to their husbands. Husbands, I'm telling you the same kind of submission to what I'm teaching you here is what you must adopt in your life. You must submit yourself to being on a lifelong journey of understanding your wife. And there's three areas that Peter addresses when it comes to this idea of understanding our wives and each husband now, it's your responsibility to take these areas and tailor that to what the needs of your wife are today and then adjust that as you go along on this journey called marriage because marriage is more than just a ceremony, it is a lifelong journey. So I wanna talk about these responsibilities, these three areas of responsibilities that husband have, husbands have to live in their life, to live with their wives in an understanding way. And so the first responsibility that we come to is that a husband is to love his wife. Very simply, that's the first thing that we're talked about there. I'm gonna read four verses for you out of the book of Ephesians chapter five. And as I'm reading that to you, I want you to just kind of make a middle note or a tick on your paper about every time that, uh, that in that passage it says, husbands love your wife. Okay, so I'm going to read these these, uh, four passages, these four four, uh, uh, verses, and just make a mental note. How many times it says, Husbands, love your wife. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. That's one, right? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself." How many times did you come up in those four verses that, that, that Paul writes to us and says, husbands are to love their wives? How many times did you come up with? Three, that's how many times that I came up with that. Now, now why in the world would Paul, in this passage of Scripture, talking to men, have to tell them three times to love their wives in four verses? I mean, if God said it once, isn't that enough? I, I would think so, right? If God says this is what you're supposed to, that ought to settle it. But in four verses, three different times, he says... Well, we all know why God did it that way, right? You know, uh, it, it kind of plays out this way in my house. You know, Lena makes uh, dinner one night and she uses a George Foreman to cook some chicken, you know. And uh, she goes over and she cleans it and gets it all ready and she sets it beside the sink. And we keep the George Foreman in a, in a shelf real high in our, in our laundry area so she can't get to it. She'll, she'll say something like, hey, Galen, put the George Foreman up. Day or two rock along, you know. And so she moves the George Foreman to the center island. And when she puts it in the center island, she's like, hey, Galen, would you put the George Foreman up? A few days later, she takes it and she puts it in the doorway that goes from the kitchen into the laundry room that goes into the garage where I keep my golf clubs, you know? And so I walk by and there's that George Foreman. I'm like, Lena must want me to put the George Foreman up. And so I take it and I put it up in the top shelf, right? That, that's kind of what God is saying right here. He's like, guys, I, I know how you are. I, I know how you think, I know how I wired you, I know how I put you to put it together. So I'm gonna make sure in this passage of scripture you get beyond a shadow of a doubt what I really want you to do and what I want you to do and understand your responsibility is to love your wife. But how do we do that? How do men love their wives? Well, the first way that a man loves his wife or a husband loves his wife is you love her with your words. You love her with your words. Guys, we must never forget how insecure our wives are. They're insecure about how they look. They're insecure how they, how they get along with other people. They're always looking for that affirmation for them. They need a husband to tell them, you're beautiful, I love you, you're special to me. And the great news is, like I've always told you, I love what the Bible has to say, the Bible always gives us the answers to things. So, so in the book of Song of Solomon, Solomon tells us, if you're not sure how to tell your wife how you love her, he gives us these excellent, excellent words. Listen to it in Solomon chapter four and verse one. Solomon says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil and your hair is it's like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. So there you have it right there, man. If you don't know how to tell your wife that you love her and she looks been looking good, just crawl up next to her and say, honey, your hair is like a flock of goats right there. I mean, she will just melt in the moment right there, okay? I love the way the Bible answers our questions, you know. Now, no, of course, that's not what we ought to tell our wives today. I doubt that my wife would appreciate me telling her hair's like a goat hair, right? But what he's saying there is he's found a way to express to his wife how much it is that he loves her. There was a woman one time that was uh, getting ready for bed and her husband was watching television and she finds herself standing in front of the mirror and she looks and she calls out to her husband. She says, I really don't like what I see. I see wrinkles and I see gray hair and I see flabby skins and I see things that I just don't really like. Honey, would you please tell me something encouraging? He pauses for a moment and then he calls out, well, at least you still have 20-20 vision. That is not what his wife needed at that moment. Okay. That's not what she needed. She needed a word of encouragement. She needed something that would speak to her. And so that's what we have to be mindful of guys. We have to be mindful of those words, those, those words that show how much we love our wives. And that's what she needs from us. Secondly, your wife also needs your touch. Your wife also needs your touch. And what I mean by that is your wife needs non-sexually inducing touching. If there's anything that I have come into my office when it comes to marriage counseling, more than anything, it's this struggle between physical contact between a husband and his wife. And oftentimes, the wife wants to be kissed. I mean, Solomon's wife, she said, May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better Than wine. She wanted that physical contact, but oftentimes, men, the only time that we want to participate in physical contact is when we want to progress it into further intimacy. And oftentimes, our wives want to be hugged, they want to be held, they want to be kissed with not the idea that this is going to lead to something beyond just me expressing to you how much I love you, how much I appreciate you, how much that I touch you because you're a part of my life. And the third way that we show this idea of making sure that we're, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're doing the things, we're loving our wife the way that God's commanded us to do it, we love her with our words, we love her with our touch, but we also love our wife with our attentions our attention. Guys, your wife needs to feel beyond a shadow of a doubt that she's top priority in your life. She's the most important thing to you, that you cherish her above all else. And I'll give you one of the ways that i found that uh, is, is, is a way for us, for me, to be able to share that with Lena is, when she's talking to her, talking to me, I make sure that I look her in the eyes and listen. And I just let her share with me what it is that she wants to share. Now guys, by nature, we're fixers. And so as our wives begin to tell us something that's on their heart, our mind begins to try to figure out how we're going to fix what it is that she's talking to us about. And by the time the conversation is over, we have no idea what she's asking to be fixed. So we just go try to fix something, right? And most of the time, your wife doesn't need you to fix anything. She just needs your attention. She needs to know that you're hearing her. She needs to know that you are cognizant of what it is that she has going on in her life. And these are the way that we can make sure that our wife feels loved. That's a need that she has. So that's a responsibility that we have is to make sure that she feels loved. The second responsibility I believe that we see in this passage of Scripture is that a husband needs to value his wife. A husband needs to value his wife. Go back to our passage in verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor. Teme is the Greek word there, and it literally means, this word honor, it literally means to value something. Husbands, your wife needs to feel that you value her opinion that you value her time, that you value her talents. Remember, if we go back and we study Genesis uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the creation of husband and wife and man and woman, God has called your wife to be your helpmate. God has called your wife to walk beside you. He's called your wife to, to have a vested interest in the things that you're doing, that you're a part of. And she has value that she brings to decisions that are made and insights that she can bring to a, to a situation that you may not have thought of. And so there in verse 7, when he says, show her honor, in other words, value your wife, he says, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And this goes back to what I was talking about last week when I talked about how that Peter and Paul and Jesus were really on the cutting edge of women's equality and the way that we view women. And this is a prime example there when he's talking about, look at her as she is a fellow heir. She's not something less than. She's not something that's subservient. Remember in that, that Roman-Graeco uh, culture that we have going on in this time, uh, Men did not look at women as of equal at all. The women's job was to stay home. The women's job was to stay out of the way. The women's job was to have the babies and take care of the house. And that's all they needed to do about the husband would be about all the business of everything. And in this passage, Peter is saying that is not the right way to value, to appreciate your wife. She is a co-heir with you. She is of equal importance to you. She is of equal value with you. And so a wife feels valued when her husband shares his feelings with her. A wife feels valued when a husband shares his feelings with her. Guys, I don't know if you ever noticed or not, when you're coming home, your wife's got like 10,000 questions. Well, what'd you do today? Where'd you go today? Who'd you go to lunch with today? You know, well, what did he have for lunch today? And you're like going, what in the world, man? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he had a steak or chicken salad. I don't know if he bought shoes on sale or if he paid the full price. I'm not trying to date the guy. I just went to lunch with him, okay? That's it. I don't know. Why are you being so nosy, right? Your wife's not being nosy. Your wife just wants to be a part of your life. Your wife wants to know that you want to communicate with her. You want to share with her exactly what it is, that you have these feelings sometimes of inferiority and that you have these feelings of not having it all together. Because when you're willing to share those things with your wife, what you're saying is, I trust you more than any other person and I'm going to let you see the innermost secrets that I have and not only will you that show that you value her but it'll also show how much that you love her. And so your wife needs to be honored. She needs to be valued because she's wired differently than you are and because she's put together differently than you are and because God has called her to be your helpmate. She might be able to bring some things into that situation that you might not have thought of or you may not have even noticed. I share with people all the time, I never bring a staff person on uh, any position at Oak Ridge Baptist Church that Lena doesn't have an opportunity to meet with him. I value her insight. I value what she notices that I might have missed. That's another way that I show her my love and appreciation for her. So that is the second responsibility that we have. A husband's to love his wife. A husband is to value his wife. And thirdly, the third responsibility I see in this passage of Scripture is a husband is to protect His wife. Look there in verse 7 again. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wife in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. That does not mean inferior. That does not mean in any way that she's less than. She's just been created differently. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited by the fact that my wife was created differently from me. I have no problem with that at all. Uh, Silk is weaker than denim. But is denim any more important or any more valuable than silk? Absolutely not. It's just been created different. It's been put together different. One is just more delicate than the other. And so I believe that when a, when a woman was made and she created womankind in the Garden of Eden, she kind of stamped this, this, this statement on here. It was kind of like, hey, guys, be sure and handle your wife with care. Hand her, handle, handle with care emotionally. Handle with care physically. Handle with care spiritually so that she can blossom and be everything that God's created her to be. Now, the first part of protecting that most guys never have a problem with, or we, we kind of rally to, is be sure and protect your wife physically. That's something that men are always concerned about. We've always been kind of brought up in our culture of taking care of our little sisters. Watch out for your sister. Watch out for your mom. And then it transcends into making sure that we're watching out for our wives. And I I think that's a good thing. I think that's that's a good application here. I think about when Eve was created in the Garden of Eden and God took a bone from her or from him to create her. He could have taken a finger or he could have taken an ankle bone or what did he take? He took the rib, a bone that's very dear and close to the heart, and he also took a bone that was right underneath his arm. And I think that's a picture for us men to understand that our wives were created to be close to us, to be, to be very carefully attached to us, but also to come underneath our protective arm. And oftentimes we sit in times like this and, and we're not really too concerned about the physical uh, way that we abuse our wives, but our words can also have physical connotations as well. And that's why we talk about our actions and our reactions and how we expect things or how we respond to those things. And so husbands may not be physically abusive to their wives, but their words could be. And then understand as your words are that way to your wife, husbands, especially if you have little boys in the home, guess what they think, how they're supposed to act and treat mama. They're supposed to use the same language. They're supposed to use the same tone. They're supposed to use the same attitude. And so we want to be very, very careful to protect our wives physically, but also we're called to protect our wives spiritually. Men are called to be the spiritual leaders in their home. Husbands are responsible whether we want it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we agree with it or not, whether we feel adequate or not. Our responsibility is to be the spiritual leader in our home. And so my wife and your wife, that's exactly what they need from us. They need for us to be the spiritual leader in our home. And I want you to know that's something that I've struggled with. I mean, you may be thinking, well, pastor, you know, you're the, you're the preacher, you're the pastor. There's no way this is ever an issue in your home. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the, the old saying that says the painter's house needs to be painted and the, the air conditioner guy's air conditioner doesn't work, you know. Well, sometimes I'm kind of spent spiritually by the time I get home, and, and, and it's, been a, it's been something I've had to work on, that when I, when I go home, that I'm still, though I'm the pastor and though I'm the spiritual leader for you guys, I'm still called to be the spiritual leader in our home, and so we've had to learn to put things into place. If you're around my wife, very often you'll hear an alarm go off at 8 o'clock, and when that alarm goes off at 8 o'clock, that's Lena, Galen, and Carson time in the front room. And we just get together and we have spiritual time together and we have a time that we we have had to set that apart because I had to make sure that I was doing those things that was necessary for our, but I've also encouraged my wife that if I fail at doing what I'm supposed to do, then she needs to do it. And oftentimes, guys, because our wives are waiting for us to do it and they don't want to disrespect us and they don't want to overstep our boundaries, when it comes to that time, they're waiting on us. And then when we don't do it, they just don't do it either. And what you have to do is empower yourself to be the spiritual leader in your home. But then if you're not going to do that, don't make your wife feel like she cannot because someone's got to lead those children spiritually in that home so that they're prepared to go out the next day and the things that they're going to be facing. But God has created that for our responsibility. And we're supposed to be ones that are doing that, which means that we need, to be, we need to be praying with our wives and we need to be attending services with our wives and we need to be dialoguing with our wives about spiritual things. I, I got tickled, when, not tickled in a bad way, but in a, in a good way when I, I was talking to Mary recently and she came by and she said, yeah, me and, me and Jeremy, we were on our trip to San Antonio and we were just fellowshipping about the word together. And there was this thing that came out of that. And I thought, what a fitting picture of the way that spiritual closeness is to be in the home to where we're, we're dialoguing on those spiritual things, not just on Sunday morning or not just on Wednesday night, but we're accepting that responsibility as we go forward. So guys, let me ask you a question. Why would this be so important? Outside of the fact that you're commanded to do it in scripture, you're commanded to love your wife and you're commanded to take care of your wife and you're commanded to value your wife, Why would it be to our best advantage, even if we said, and we're going to, I'm not saying this, even if it wasn't, well, we know our wife will flourish in that environment. That would be reason enough right there, right? But let's just kind of take that. Why would we embrace what it is that we've seen as the responsibility that we have as a husband to do these things? Continue to read with me there in verse 7. He says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, comma, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now we go back to that that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and it says, "Husbands husbands love your wife. Husbands love your wife. Husbands love your wife. Remember three times out of four verses and it says you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. As a matter of fact, you are supposed to love her as you love yourself because who is there in, in, in mankind? Who man is there that doesn't cherish his him own self, his own self? So when we go into our prayer times, a lot of times, what are we praying for? God bless my job. God bless that I'll be able to provide for my family. God, let me be everything that, I, that, that you want me to be, right? But yet in this passage of Scripture, it says these prayers that you're offering, that you're offering them because you want to be a good provider and you want to be a good leader and you want to be all that you can be in your, in your home, those prayers are going to be hindered if you're not doing the things that you already commanded in this passage of Scripture to be doing in the first place. And that's just such a revelation for me right there. Put into practice, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the words. And then I begin thinking, how many Christian men are out there that are calling out to God, that are trying to do things the right way, but yet their prayers are being hindered because they're not doing what God has commanded them to do about their relationship with their wife. In other words, God first, our wives are second, your kids are third. And boy, do we have a habit of getting that out of whack in our society today. We're too tired to lead our family. We're too tired to love our wife. We're too tired to value our wife. We're too tired to do those things because work has become the priority. And then everything the kids that have got going on. And then if I have anything left over, then I may be able to give something like that to my life. And then that's when we realize that then marriage simply starts becoming more of a ceremony than it becomes a lifelong journey. And we don't want that to happen. So guys, these are the things in verse 7 that God has given us so that we can understand our responsibility as men. Now, it is 7 o'clock and we got done quicker tonight than we did last week. Do you know why? There were six verses to the women, Right? And there was just one verse to the men. And we understand why there was just one verse to the men according to our study tonight, okay? So what I want us to do at this time, I want us to kind of uh, to, to close this time up. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot. And I know sometimes people feel a little uncomfortable when we go in this direction. But I'd like for us to spend the next 15 minutes or so in just prayer. Um, that may be those people that are around you that you want to kind of gather up into a group. And pray that way. It may be that you want to get with your wife, with your spouse that's here with you. And maybe, men, you need to talk to her and say, hey, I've failed in this area. I've realized tonight some things that I ought to be doing. And, 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 and I want to bear my soul to you. I don't, I don't really know how to do it. And I'm, I'm intimidated to try to do it because you, you know so much more about the Bible than I do. Because you took that so much seriously early in your life. And, and I want to do it right. Will you help me? I, I don't know what it is with her. I know Rebecca's having surgery tomorrow. Maybe her desire is for a group to pray with her about that. I, I I don't know what it is, but I think tonight would be a good opportunity before that we leave out of here just to have some time of prayer together, share with your group. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign you. I'm not gonna put you together. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Sometimes when I do that, as soon as we bow our head, people head out that back door because they're just not comfortable. I get that. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. But listen, if we're gonna be a family, Okay. Family and prayer time is very important. This. So, so this is what I want us to do. Okay. If I've offended anybody, take some baby aspirins when you get home and get over it. Okay. This is what I want us to do tonight, please. All right. So when you finish in your group and you pray, just kind of dismiss yourself out. Um, visit, do whatever you want to do, kind of outside the worship center. And that way, anybody that wants to pray or is having their time in here, they won't feel rushed in any way. We've got plenty of time to be able to have that together. Okay. All right. So here we go. Go pray.